people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Welcome to Kidney Talk, Stephen. We've uh, got a great guest today because um, she's going to tell us a lot of information about being an empowered healthcare advocate. Yeah, I love empowered healthcare advocates, especially. Yes. Did you notice she, this is the same person, the kind of person? She has three names. Remember the other person we had that had three <laughs> names? I got to ask her about that. No, we're very excited to hear to have Jane Neff Rollins. Um, she's with Arnell Communications, and she's an epidemiologist, a medical writer, and she speaks around the country. And she's got great information today about us about how to be a health, an empowered healthcare consumer. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Lori. So what is, what is a, an um, empowered you know, healthcare how do you, how do you empower yourself? I mean, how, how do you do that? Because it's hard. I think of being an empowered healthcare consumer as having three components. I call them the three P's. The first P is providers. How do you find a healthcare provider, whether it's a primary care doctor or a kidney specialist, that you can really talk to. And once you've found that person, how can you behave assertively in your encounters with them? With that physician, you mean? With or, the physician. Well, you know, I know a lot of times people are so happy just to get a doctor that, you know, you're so afraid to, uh, you know, you get an appointment with a specialist and then it's hard because you only see them for 10 minutes and so it's hard to really frame an opinion in that 10 minutes the first time you see them. Well, knowing that, there are a couple of things the empowered patient can do. You can plan for and request a comprehensive visit that's more than the 10 minutes the standard visit yeah, would be allowed. Yeah, but that costs bucks. Yes, it does. But the second P of my three Ps for empowerment. Save your pennies? Concerns payment, yes. It concerns knowing what things cost and learning to budget for them. We don't like to hear this in this country, but healthcare is expensive. I know this is no news to you and your listeners, but budgeting for those out-of-pocket costs is important. And sometimes that comprehensive visit is going to be worth that extra money. So, yeah, payment, is, it's difficult because co-pays are rising and it just seems like, you know, you get a prescription and it costs more. Everything costs more. And usually when you, you don't feel well, you're not making a lot of money. <laughs> you know, it would be great if they handed you like a menu, like at a restaurant. You know, this is 10 minutes with the doctors. This is 15 minutes. This is what a lab, co- a lab test costs. Don't you right. think that would be a great idea? I think it would be ideal. There actually are a few websites across the country that provide ranges for prices for certain procedures. 
not for what drugs necessarily uh, cost, but for operations. And you can go there if your doctor says you need a hernia operation and see what the healthcare systems in that state, I believe it may be Michigan, cost. So this is California, we're a high cost state. It would undoubtedly cost more than that, but at least you'd have a, a ballpark. I'm hoping this is gonna be the wave of the future. And so what happens is, though, when you have insurance, the insurance just pays for it. And then you have to pay 20% if you don't have a copay. This last winter, I had a really bad ear infection, and I had to go to a doctor out of network just because it was 4.30 on a Friday. And I got a bill for $500 for, you know, 30 minutes, but I tell you, it was the best $500 I've spent because I couldn't hear you know, I mean, I didn't complain too much because it was either that or the emergency room. And if I went to the emergency room, it wouldn't have cost anything. Is that crazy? Well, you could have gone to Costco because, you know, everything's cheaper at Costco. <laughs> not an ear and sometimes doctor, they give not out, an ear, nose But no, but they give out free samples, too. In so. your ears? <laughs> no, no, you can eat while you can save money on death. <laughs> oh, okay. So then the Saturday and Sunday, I go to Costco and not eat all weekend, and that's how I you save, save my money. pennies. Okay, right. okay, sounds like a good plan. So what's the third P? The third P is personal development. In that compartment, I think of things like learning about your condition from reliable sources like librarians or reliable websites. I think of personal responsibility, doing your best to be as healthy as you can be given your underlying condition. And I also think of that compartment as how to be in touch emotionally with the impact of disease. For instance, you may need to learn to ask for help from other people, and emotionally that can be very hard for all of us. I've been there myself. But I found that people are always glad to help. What do you think about the internet with information? I mean, I know that I hear something a topic or and I go home and I search Google <laughs> to find out what, what's the real scoop with that particular illness are there certain sites that you have to pay attention to or are there certain sites that you would recommend I always recommend that people go to Medline Plus first that's a website that's put together <clears throat> that's the one you own right the, <laughs> no it's actually put together by the US government ah. it's a wonderful first stop they essentially are a portal or a, a place you can go at, as a first step to be directed to other agencies that have already done work in putting together health education materials suitable for consumers. So in the case of kidney disease, they have a wonderful website that includes things like how to pay for care. Uh, starting with Medicare, talking about private insurance for those who are still working, state disability, Medicaid, patient assistance programs, et cetera, et cetera. It's a great first step and a reliable source so of information. They basically take all the resources from like that have been peer reviewed or that are government. You know, like Medicare puts out so much information on payment, but this is just a one stop source that'll take you to that website. Exactly. And so there's so much information, but you a lot of times kidney patients are you know. People who have kidney disease are diagnosed with like arthritis or something. So this is a great place for them to go and find out exactly. about it. Exactly. They, they cover all different medical conditions. And if they have arthritis, they can ask a friend to work the keyboard for them. <laughs>
It's relying on friends. No, exactly. And you got to stay away from, like I know when I was needed a transplant, you really see a lot of scams on Craigslist. So I would not, you know, I would not answer the scams. Well, a lot of times too, you type in a term, and then somebody's trying to sell you something um, related to that topic. Like if you you type in, you know, treatment for arthritis, you're probably going to get supplements, ten, yeah. ten supplement sites and pretending to be experts on the topic. So you have to be leery of these types of sites. That's why I always recommend once you've been to the Medline Plus site to try and limit your searches to include only sites that end in .edu. Those are the ones associated with universities and those that end in .gov, which are associated with the government. The material from them you have a higher chance that it's going to be accurate. What about other patients? A a big source that I get a lot of information is from other patients. And it's been very helpful because patients have told me what to ask. And that's one of the hardest things when you're trying to seek health information, you don't know what to ask. And that's when other patients and family members come in handy. Well, I know that RSN Network provides a weekly support group for face-to-face interaction right here in Glendale. There are other support groups available for face-to-face interaction as well. Many people prefer the online support group for the anonymity of it. Yeah, we have (laughs) kidneyspace.com. We have a bulletin board. Well, that's a wonderful place to go. A good way to start would be to go to Google type in double quotes kidney disease and also in double quotes support groups and see what pops up. There used to be a portal for support groups that I would recommend, but I went to that website today and apparently it has gone into the ether. You know, the problem is with support groups is a lot of people who start them don't have marketing well they don't have support they don't have marketing they don't know how to tell people they're out there and then so they basically have this meeting and nobody knows about them and so it's it's really unfortunate so it takes a lot of work we talk to patients across the country about this they they want to start a support group and we try to help them um, be successful because it takes a lot of um, leadership to have a support group but I think in general um, this is a role that I basically is like I always just take the experience, strength, and hope from patients. I, I always check advice with my healthcare professional because everybody's different. <laughs> so they help me understand what I want to ask, but I may not take their uh, prescribing directions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to be careful who you talk to because you know, you know, you got a sore or you got some a headache, and oh, I had an aunt with the same thing, and every you know, I don't trust people. You know, right. I've had so many people say, oh, I tried onion juice with, uh, you know, I don't know, mushrooms. And then it was, you know, it's just like they always have this home remedy that's cracked. Right. Well, know? sometimes they work, like chicken soup works. Like what was your crazy <laughs> thing for the itching on the stomach? Your, like witch hazel <laughs> that, that and listerine. A, <laughs> and it was like crazy. It got your mind off your itching while you were putting I, I know, the but it did together. nothing. Didn't it work? <laughs> it did nothing, you know? One of the topics that I think is really important, and we don't really hear a lot about it, is medical identity theft. And recently, I've been to some doctors, and you have to fill out all these forms, and they want all this information. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know, medical identity theft and how to protect yourself? 
Medical identity theft is actually one of the fastest growing crimes in this country today. What happens is doctors, for instance, may retire and not be able to pass their practice on to someone else, and people have found medical records in dumpsters behind the office. I'm sure it happens only rarely, but it does happen. As more and more doctors go to electronic medical records, there is a small but nevertheless real possibility that some of that very personal data could be hacked into. And what's the advantage of the person, the perpetrator? Because if you take on the medical identity of someone else, similarly as if you take on the financial identity of someone else, you can access services and the original owner of that identity gets caught having to foot the bill. So basically you walk into a clinic and you have an ID and you say you're a certain person and you have their health card, you could have a... You print you could, up you a could have fake a, health card? Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be hard to do that. And then know. you would basically uh, have a service and leave and then you're done with the service but somebody else gets the bill. Is that exactly. what you're saying? And, you know, I've often wondered that when I'm filling out a form at a doctor's office, I mean, the people in the office, you hope that they're, you know, upstanding citizens. Because they ask for your Social Security number. Yeah. They, and I and never fill it out. I never fill out. And I haven't had one office say, you forgot to fill out your Social Security number. But I never put my Social Security number down. I would say that's an excellent plan. The Social Security number is supposed to only identify you to employers and to financial uh, credit agencies so that they know that you're a distinct individual. But I also refuse to give my social security numbers in the doctor's office. There are offices where they'll get upset with you and you say, please assign me another unique number of your own, but I don't want to use my social security number and you're within your rights to say that. And I've heard in some po- some um, cases that uh, actually the medical records are kept on a laptop and people steal the laptop. This has happened, <laughs> unfortunately, many times. And, you know, the more people, uh, you know, use the Internet, because I'm a big fan of information technology. I think the more we're integrated as a society with medical records, the better off we'll be if one doctor can talk to another doctor and it all be integrated. But the risk is, is how are you going to secure that information? Because it's, you know, it's all online. And, and, and it's when you think about the Internet, it's like, where is it? <laughs> you can't really, it's you know, crazy. You can't really figure out where it is. <laughs> I got to say, I know identity theft happens and medical theft obviously happens and stuff. But I've made it a point in my life, whatever years are left, is not to worry I, I cannot constantly fear of earthquakes and wildfires and identity theft. And, you know, I, I'm careful, but I'm just not going to worry about it. And if it happens, I'll try to remedy the situation. But I just can't. I just this is just a personal thing for me. I can't live my life in right. fear of everything. You just have to be proactive and because everything's yourself. dangerous. You When you go behind the car, it's dangerous. Well, I envy you your even temperedness in this area. I don't know anyone who has had their medical identity stolen, but I do know of someone who has had her identity stolen. And the issue is once you discover it, how do you get things back to the new normal? And in the case of my friend, it took months 
and hours on the telephone and hours writing snail mail letters because everything had to be done the old-fashioned way to get the blot on her financial record reversed. And I imagine the same thing would be true for a medical identity theft. So yes, you don't want to go around saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but I do think an informed, uh, assertive healthcare consumer needs to be aware of the risk because I know that um, my husband was talking to the local police department about, you know, you, you get all these um, credit card statements or everything in, mm-hmm. you know, in the mail and we shred them or rip them up. And he said, never put them in the recycle bin, always put them in the garbage. And because of the fact that, you know, the recycle bin is it's just free for everybody to basically go and get it. Yeah, but if you're shredding them, what difference does it make? Well, you know, it's hard to shred them. We rip them up. I mean, you can shred them. Buy a shredder for $20. Well, have you, you can't, we get so much mail that you can't shred it. It You need like an industrial shredder. I agree. I do shred (laughs) all my materials. I just remembered though, uh, relevant to medical identity theft that I got a letter in the mail just the other day from a dermatologist I visited a month ago saying that their electronic medical record system had been breached and they recommended that I contact the three credit agencies. So I've actually had a hold put on my credit report so that anybody trying to uh, process a false application for credit, whether for medical procedures or anything else, will have to contact me for permission first. We have the same thing. We went to buy a car. We forgot that we've, we've locked our credit reports. So they okay. can they cannot check it. And every time we need to have our credit report done, we have to pay like $10 per credit report, you know, for the car salesman to unlock it. So nobody can check our credit. Is that what LifeLock is? I've heard this thing on... um, Uh, No, that's something else. It's something else. There's this one uh, commercial that I see on TV all the time about LifeLock. and social security. I haven't seen it. You basically can can protect your identity, and you can lock it up, and it's now a service. So uh, interesting. But so to be an empowered healthcare consumer, to, to basically wrap it up, you have to find the right doctor and and figure out how to create a dialogue with them. Correct. And uh, and it's hard because, I mean, I see so many doctors and you get five or ten minutes. So, And then my one doctor, my nephrologist, I've known him for 20 years. I feel like he's one of my family members. Um, so it's interesting, you know, when you develop a relationship with a physician, um, how great it can be. But it's taken years because you don't see him that often. So it's really hard to do. One way to make that more likely to happen is to plan your visits. Make a list of questions that you have and realize that you may not be able to get the answers to all of them at that initial visit. It's perfectly acceptable to say, I have three concerns. Let's talk, can we talk about which one is more important to deal with right away and put off the others till another visit? Again, you have to budget for that, but I would never this stand is for the that. reality. You want them all done at once. No, I would never stand for that. If I if I had a doctor who gave me ten minutes, I would change doctors. And I've never had a doctor say I got to go on to my next patient. Because I have. If I if I well I I guess I've been lucky because I have certain questions and if they're not answered, uh, I'll tell the nurse. If he goes uh, to another room, I'll say I'm not done. Can you have him come back? And they come back. 
you know? Well, I think, too, um, one of the things that I do is I always bring in, because I've had such a long history of health issues, I bring in a one-page summary of kind of my life synopsis of what I'm seeing, you know, what mm-hmm. surgeries I've had, and then another list of with my medications. And I think one of the things that that signals to the physician is you are on your toes and you're ready to be a partner in your care. And they, be, they have to be willing to be this partner too. And I've also seen patients who come in and like, you know, they don't have their medication list, they don't know anything. And half the time is the doctor's trying to figure out what's going on and then the time's up. So I think as, as prepared as you can be is the most important thing. I agree. And actually, when I go to the doctor, I bring a three ring binder with all my most recent lab tests and all my most recent x-rays, as well as the one-page summary. The physician may not look at everything, but it's, I always feel it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Is there anything in the closing that you would like to say that, uh, to, to, to let patients know? Yes, I think one of the most important things you can do to be an empowered patient is to get a copy of what's called the evidence of coverage from your insurer. That's not the fancy marketing piece you get at open enrollment if you get your insurance from your employer. It's the 30 or 60 page booklet that you have to ask or even force your employer to give you that tells you what will and will not be covered. And you need to read that cover to cover. And then, and only then, if the insurance company denies you reimbursement for a service, you have to fight back. And it is worth it to fight back. All the insurance, the private insurance companies have what they call appeals processes. There's an internal appeals process, and in the state of California, if you go through that process and you're still denied, you can go to a state board. And the good news is that in some states, there's a 60% chance that that initial denial will be overturned, so you will get the service to which you're entitled. Uh, in some cases, it might be as low as 40%, but those odds are, are pretty good. The insurance companies pretty much think yeah. you'll go away because it's too much work, and that's, but that's the the what they the problem, want. The problem is with that is you need to be treated for something that they're denying. And by the time you go through all those processes that you're talking about, you could be dead. So Yeah, it's true. Um, one of uh, my friends did um, appeal a new procedure. It wasn't really new, but the insurance company was saying it's a new therapy. And um, he fought and he was able to get it. It was It's IVIG therapy. And so if you have a high antibody level and you're a dialysis patient and he wanted to get transplanted and his insurance company said it was uh, uh, you know, too new, and basically he appealed and sent all the evidence and the studies that was showing that this worked and they had to pay for it and he got his transplant. I used to work for a company that makes IVIG so I I have heard those stories before. Sometimes if you are not yourself knowledgeable enough to get that information, you can find an advocate who will help you work through that process. Some health advocates are available through nonprofit agencies and don't charge a fee like the patient advocate foundation others are individual practitioners as health advocates they will charge a fee but if you yourself don't have the skill or energy that may be some of the the best dollars that you can spend on your own behalf the bottom line and this isn't going to be cheap <laughs> it's not 
We live in a country that doesn't think of health care as being a right. And I won't argue whether that's true or not in this forum. But if you don't advocate on your own behalf or on behalf of a child or family member, no one else is going to do it for you. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 